Hello everyone. Namaste. This is Satashma. I'm Simone and welcome to Anthropause. Episode 1, Breaking the Ice. What a clever episode name. We're breaking the ice with all our listeners today. And also touching on the topic of mountains, ice and climate change. Speaking of mountains, Satashma, I was just scrolling across Twitter and came across this picture that showed mountains that look like big rocks. Yeah, I've seen those as well, and they do look quite out of the ordinary. Yeah, shrinking and melting of glaciers is one of the most documented signs of global warming. And have you heard about the glacial lake outburst at Uttarakhand that has caused over 58 deaths? Yeah, truly devastating. There previously have been reports uh, about such events. There was a similar event in Uttarakhand itself in 2013 and in the Andes in Peru since the 1940s. But what is shocking is how frequently these have been occurring nowadays. In Nepal, in the Himalayas, which is one of the most glaciated mountain range with about 600 billion tons of ice, people are constantly under risk. This fact is often overlooked and that's the worst thing because especially in our country due to multiple reasons, one being lack of awareness of climate change and also because of the remoteness of the Himalayan area. The indigenous communities who are most vulnerable to this threat have limited voice and I find this very concerning. Hmm. I would love to learn more about this from someone who knows the region well and has first-hand experience with the implications of climate change in this region. Well, Simon, we are at luck. Let me introduce our guest, Mr. Dawa Steven Sherpa. Dawa Steven Sherpa is a mountaineer, adventurer, environmentalist, and also an entrepreneur. He has submitted Mount Everest, Sagarmatha, three times along with other Himalayan peaks such as Mount Kanchanjunga, Choyu, Manaslu and Lhotse. He also launched the Eco Everest expedition which focuses on cleaning Mount Everest. He's also the co-founder and chair of Himalayan Climate Initiative, a youth-driven civil society organization in Nepal that has produced impactful campaigns such as Hamri Baini, a social enterprise that focuses on creating green jobs for Nepali women, and the No Thanks Minimalist Movement. Dawadai, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Simone. It's lovely to be here and uh, honored to be your first guest. Yes, thank you so much for being part of the show. We look forward to our conversation today. So, Dabai, before mm-hmm. we dive into the main theme of our conversation, Simon and I were just talking about the recent uh, glacial lake outburst at Somoli Uttarakhand. What can be attributed as the primary cause for this? Well, the primary cause um, for it, well, it's a little complicated, right? Um, but in a nutshell, it's basically human impact. Um, first of all, you know, the, uh, the big flood itself, it was triggered because an avalanche blocked a big river. And then you know, when it uh, broke through the, the avalanche, it, you know, devastated everything below it. Uh, and it was made even worse because there were hydropower projects there, you know, uh, reservoirs and so on. So that actually cascaded into a much bigger problem than it already was. So 
you know, why did the avalanche actually happen there? Um, it's because, you know, climate change is happening more and more and a bigger scale. Now, that's one type of flood that uh, we have, you know, just seen in, in Uttarakhand. We have seen it in Nepal as well. You know, uh, in 2012, we saw the same sort of uh, phenomena happen in uh, the Annapurna region when the Sethi uh, River flooded and killed some 50 odd people uh, in that flood as well. Um, and there's something similar going on, but, uh, you know, um, the impact uh, through the impact of climate change, um, which is again glaciers melting and actually becoming bodies of water themselves rather than blocking the river. And this water, this pool of water, also bursts out of its banks and comes down, similar to what we saw in Uttarakhand. So, you know, uh, a big warning sign for all of us. Hmm. Talking about climate change, right? Glaciers across the Himalayas have experienced significant ice loss over the past 40 years, hmm. with the average rate of ice loss doubling in the 21st century. What impact does this continue to have in the region, the local people and climbers? Well, um, you know, you could, you could almost look at it like you're looking through a, a zoom lens, right? So if you focus really close in, like from, from a mountaineer's point of view, right? I'm a climber, right? So um, the mountains that we're climbing, the ice and the snow, it's all melting. So what's happening? is we're seeing, you know, one thing, more uh, more avalanches happening because the, the snow is not, the slopes are not solid, right? They're, they're not as stable as they used to be. So you, we see more and more avalanches happening. We also see more rockfall coming down the mountain and hitting us, you know, uh, more accidents happening because of that. Why? Because the snow, which used to act like a glue and would stick the rock to the slope, that glue is gone. And so all the rocks are falling down. So from a mountaineer's point of view, it's getting really dangerous, right? And then... Um, taking a, you know zooming slightly out now you know the whole mountain the route is changing you know the, our climbing routes are changing because what used to be easy to grow over a snow slope now is like a sheer rock so now we have to find a different way around but that's also happening at a more sort of uh, community level you know trails between villages are also getting damaged are also changing because uh, either they used to go over glaciers and so that glacier is melting or they used to be on permafrost and now the permafrost is melting and going and it's all collapsing. So that's, you know, that, that those are physical changes that you can see with your eyes. I already mentioned the, the glacial lakes that are forming, huge glacial lakes so threatening to sort of thunder down and, and wipe everything out. And we've already had, um, you know, th these are not hy hypothetical. These, these things have happened uh, in 1984 in the, in the Kumbu, um, uh, in the Everest region. Uh, we had a big glacial lake, lake outburst flood and... Um, it wiped out a newly built micro hydropower plant, which is supplying electricity to Namchi Bazaar and Kumjung, my, my own ancestral village. And it was only 10 years later in 1994 that a new hydropower plant was built. So literally development was stopped for 10 years because of, of that glacial lake outburst. But now, you know, where there's melting, you know, uh, we also need to talk about water, right? So a big problem is, you know, in the dry season, these glaciers act like, you know, um, a water storage. And so the, it would slowly melt and give water to the villagers. Now, when the glaciers disappear altogether, there's nothing to store that water. So in the dry season, there is no water. And now we're seeing cases in villages, especially like in Mustang and Dopa, where the water, you know, it's very arid land there. Villagers having to completely, you know, move out of the region because they don't have any, any water anymore. So the water security is a huge problem. So that's now on a more community level. Now, if you go back even further, right, if you look at a whole regional aspect, you know, look at India, Nepal, 
like all this water that's stored on the uh, in the mountains in the glaciers in the mountains that all trickles down into the plains down towards billions of people about uh, the estimate is about one and a half billion people on both sides of the himalayas depend on the water for everything from agriculture drinking of course industry hydropower and so that water is slowly disappearing right and you can only imagine what will happen when that water tank empties ah uh, what kind of problems it's not going to be environmental problems they're going to be humanitarian problems right so uh, yeah uh, i think that gives you a sort of a, a glimpse into what you know what the future might hold for us yeah so like evidently from what you just said um the people but in particular the indigenous people in the himalayas mm. are on the front lines of climate change yeah. but then they are often left out of the conversation you know like we never hear about them so could you tell us why it is important to include these people and their voices and dialogue research climate strategy you know and policy making and beyond well i mean uh there's two things right um one uh i think you know uh we can say climate justice because these people didn't contribute to the problem right it was caused by people far far away thousands of miles away living lavish lives and it's the poorest of the of the people you know living in the most harshest of conditions they're the ones who are having to face this now and they're having to face it with the resources the scarce resources that they have so it's not fair okay that's one thing but on on a sort of a more practical uh, level it the the people in the mountains are actually the canaries in the mine shaft basically what we are going through in the mountains now the rest of the world is going to have to face eventually right so take that sort of warning from us see what we're going through and 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 take it and say okay right this this stuff is serious we need to do something about it and so you know everything i talked about from you know disasters to um uh water security to you know impact on industry agriculture all of that's all going to happen eventually to everybody in the world if we don't solve this climate change issue right now the problem is that uh, you know a lot of people they don't you know they think it's it's a problem far far away you know it's somewhere in the himalayas oh it's only happening to penguins and polar bears no it you know it's happening to real people right and so it, it it's going to happen to you as well but why do people you know why do our politicians our leaders not make a big deal about it well first of all you know it's it's very difficult to work in the mountains right and especially in a country like nepal where your resources if you're say in power and you have x rupees right you're going to spend it on on a place where it has the most impact for the number of people that live there so if you're going to spend a large amount of money on a relatively few number of people politically it doesn't make sense right um also you know you're not going to get that many many voters from the mountains as opposed to say you know from a city in tarai so that's one thing right also ngos they you know ngos ngos they they have a difficult time working in the mountains again because of the terrain it's a difficult place to work it's easier to work in the lower hills or even you know down in the plains because um obviously the terrain is uh, easier and also you can show success right your projects have to show success and when your chances of success are less then you're going to be averse to that so that's the that's the second thing and finally the third thing is also most of the people that live in the mountains are are ethnic minorities right and so um culturally they're also 
uh, you know, uh, excluded from a lot of the conversation. Um, and so that is also a third aspect of why their voice doesn't get heard. Um, so hopefully, you know, as we go further, and especially my own work, uh, and through my organization, Himalayan Climate Initiative, we'll get those voices heard, you know, not only in Nepal, but throughout the world. Definitely. Also talking about these projects, sometimes the indigenous experiential knowledge is overlooked over scientific methodologies. Um, mm. Are there like are there any like community-based adaptation methods used by the local communities in this re region right now to build their own resilience? Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. Look, uh, I, I mean, I can talk about my own Sherpa community, right? Before the national park came in, before all the the the, the laws, the, the the wildlife conservation laws, and all of that came in, the Sherpas had their own local laws called the D, right? DHI, and these, this was a system of maintaining a balance between the, the people and nature, right? So there were specific times when you were allowed to go. And even today, uh, we still follow the D, right? Specific times when you can go and cut wood, right? Um, there are specific times when you could bring animals down or uh, down to the village or take them up to pasture. So there are, you know, local indigenous laws or, or rules that, they, uh, you know, that have been handed over from generation to generation, which has allowed the people in the mountains to live in, in harmony, right? Um, but of course, modern pressures um, also uh, put that, uh, you know, a little bit off balance. And that's where, you know, we can marry scientific knowledge with the, the indigenous knowledge and come up with robust plans and strategies. So... Um, since our podcast is called The Anthropos and the term was created by scientists um, in 2020 after observing the human inactivity um, on the environment, ob observing the impact of human inactivity on the environment. So what implications did COVID-19 have on the mountains and the people whose livelihood solely depends on tourism and such? Hmm. Um, so uh, in September and October, so I'm just, you know, I'm sharing my experience. Right? I mean, I, I, I don't have an empirical scientific study, but I'm sharing my own observation and my own experience, uh, which is all, all you can hope me, uh, for me to do. Um, in September and October, I went to the mountains, right? And this was after the lockdown. Um, Nepal went into lockdown in March. Um, and um, in the winter, so before March, it was winter anyway. So there were no tourists going to the mountains. So it was probably about November or so. The last people had actually gone to the mountains where, where I visited. This was the Hunku Valley between Mount Everest and Mount Makalu. Um, in that time period, about, you know, roughly about, what, 10 months or 11 months, the, the paths had been completely, you know, they, 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 they disappeared really. Right, the, the grass and, and the shrubs, they'd all grown over the paths. And we really had to look hard to find our way through the mountains. And this, this is a relatively well-visited, popular trekking destination. So it's surprising that even within a year, nature was able to I would say, heal itself. You know, Nature was able to, to, to come back in such a strong way. So... It really got me thinking at that time. It was like, if we humans don't exist here, nature seems to be doing a fine job to, to take care of itself. It, it really is us humans, you know, having to look out for our own survival. You know, climate change, 
I think is going to cause the extinction of us human beings before it causes the extinction of all of nature, right? So that's something to take away. At least that's something I took away from that experience. Right. I do remember on social media, people were posting pictures saying, oh, wow, we've never seen such clear peaks in so long. But because of COVID-19, now we can finally see mountains. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, that was amazing. I mean, you guys were in the States, right? You, you know, you should have seen the mountains. I was in Kathmandu at the time during the lockdown, and I, I did go up to the Kumbu, uh, and like the, the air quality was just amazing. And, you know, it, it, it looks like very, like, uh, hopefully we don't need a pandemic, for, you know, for that. But it, it does look like when, when we humans come together and do something like in a unified way, although it was forced upon us, it can be achieved. Right. I feel like the last time I saw like a beautiful view of the mountains was um, uh, like probably in 2008. Um, do you remember, Saman, like we had that um, balcony up in like Ratobangla okay. and like, yeah, and you could see like a distance. And I remember we went up like up there to do some art activity and we saw the mountains. But then after that, I feel like I had to go to either Pokhara or somewhere to see the mountains clearly. So, yeah. Yeah. And then talking about pollution, right? Now let's move on. Like, um, it is important to talk about the effects of climate change, but it is also very important to talk about the topic of waste. Um, I'm sure you've heard that there are microplastics found on the top of Everest now. Was that surprising to you at all? Uh, well, no, of course not, because um, I've been cleaning Everest since 2008, right? So um, I, I knew it was there because I've actually collected all that, all that crap up there. Right? <laughs> so it wasn't a surprise to me. I was just surprised that people were surprised that there were microplastics up there. So... You know, sometimes you, you see the world from your own perspective. You think people know all the problems, but apparently, you know, like that was a big eye opener for a lot of people, which is a really good thing. Yeah. Can you elaborate a little on the eco expedition and the inspiration behind it and why it was important for you to do so? Yeah, sure. Um, so um, I first went to climb Everest in 2007, right? And I was quite shocked uh, at the time um, by what I saw, it was there's so much garbage and human waste on the mountain. Um, and there really was, there wasn't any effort to, to clean any of that up. Um, go, the government has policies in place um, that dissuades people from leaving garbage, but doesn't have any policies to bring garbage off the mountain. And so uh, when I went there, I felt that I needed to do something about it, right? And it, it was really, I mean, um, it was just a, a, a mission of this young guy who wanted to, to do something to make an impact, you know. Um, and I, the thing is, like, I, if I had to put that whole expedition together, like recruit lots of people, it would have cost uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars because, you know, uh, Sherpas are expensive. It's a dangerous job. They have to be there for two months. They have to be fed and all that. So, um I actually looked around and I realized that a lot of the Sherpas were climbing, you know, like on my own team and on other teams, they're actually taking stuff up the mountain, like tents and food and equipment. And then they'd be coming down empty, right? And then again, next time they'd be going up with more food and tents and all that. This happens throughout the two month period until the end when they clean everything off the mountain, their own equipment. But I saw an opportunity that every time they came down on every rotation, we call it, like 
why don't they bring some garbage down and I, I, I'd give them, you know, uh, uh, money per kilo. And uh, so I started, uh, you know, within the Eco Everest expedition, I started a scheme called Cash for Trash. And so basically, you know, collect any garbage on the way, bring it down to me. We'll weigh it every day at 4 p.m. We call it weighing and paying. So, uh, you know, every day at 4 p.m. And, you know, for every uh, one kilo, we would give 100 rupees. And I was very surprised that, uh, you know, in the first couple of uh, years, we collected over seven tons just in the first two years, right? And, um, it, you know, it, it became quite a, quite a good success, I, I must say. And I'm, I'm quite proud of that. And um, I also have to say at the same time, over the years, not only myself, but other organizations, other expeditions, including now the government of Nepal, also in 2019, um, launched cleanup uh, campaigns on Everest and did actually launch cleanup expedition um, to, to clean the mountain. So, so there have been others who have been uh, in on this effort. And I would say Mount Everest is one of the cleanest uh, popular mountains uh, in, in the world, right? So of all the seven summits, Mount Everest is probably one of the cleanest um, uh, of all the mountains. So that's something that we as Nepalis can be proud of. But of course, the media doesn't focus on that part, of course, right? They, they want to focus on all the negativity. But if you look, you know, you know the before and after picture from people who go to the gym, you know, we should have something like that for Everest and people will be shocked how much cleaner it is today than it ever was before. Um, so we'd ask the, our followers to estimate the amount of garbage collected from Everest by your expedition uh, between 2008 and 2020. And we had a range of answers from 100 kilos um, to 60,000 kilos. So could you give us the answer? Uh, since 2008, um, when I first started the, the cleanup expeditions, um, I have collected over 22,000 kilograms of garbage from Everest. I don't think even like, um, at least till now, like we've not had a single correct answer. So, okay. It's a little more than 100 kilos, but the well's short of the 60,000, right? Right, <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. okay. Collecting garbage is one part of solving the problem, but do you think it's possible to incorporate the idea of zero waste into mountain climbing? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, mountain climbing is probably, you know, the easiest place to implement something like uh, zero waste. You know, we already follow something called leave no trace. And in fact, the government of Nepal requires that we take everything away with us, right? Everything back off the mountain that we took there anyway. So, uh, yes, very much so. You can do it. The problem is uh, there isn't good monitoring. So, like people like myself, um, there are a lot of people like myself who, who do care about the mountains and who, who do the right thing. But for every, say, uh, you know, 101 of us, there might be one who is not, right? Who only cares about bagging the peak, as they say, or, you know, uh, running a cheap operation and make some money, right? So it's those people that, you know, we need to educate, that we need to bring on board and... Only then, if they still don't behave properly, they should be um, reprimanded or punished. Um, but the problem is that those who are supposed to be there and monitor what everybody does, uh, namely the government liaison officers, they, by and large, they don't come to the mountains, even though they're supposed to, they're paid to do that work, they don't come to the mountains. And that is a big problem with, um, with mountaineering and, and, and the problems that we see. In Nepal, as you know, 
The government makes fantastic rules which look good on paper, but nobody enforces them. And that's why nothing goes according to plan, you know? So, um, so taking that example, you know, from the mountains, we could do not only on the mountains, a lot of, you know, leave no trace, uh, zero waste, but we could do things like that here in, in Kathmandu as well, right? Um, but it does need people who are dedicated to that and people who are being paid to do this work to, for them to actually do the work, right? Yeah, so this perfectly um, ties in with our next question. Um, so, you know, like you have dedicated your life to taking care of the Himalayas, you know, and a message that you've given to the public um, in your previous talks um, is that, like, it is our turn to look after the Himalayas now. So what does this statement personally mean to you? Uh, okay. okay. Um, so... Um, like, you know, as you know, um, I'm Sherpa, right? Uh, at least, you know, I'm half Sherpa. My mother's from Belgium. So uh, for all the, all your viewers who are thinking this guy doesn't look Sherpa, well, that, that might explain it. Um, so we, we come from the mountains and um, our mythology, what it says is that Guru Rinpoche or Guru Padma Sambhava in Sanskrit, uh, he set aside these sacred hidden valleys in the mountains for his followers to escape to in times of conflict. And so uh, about 500 years ago, 600 years ago, Sherpas started fleeing from Tibet to, to avoid conflict uh, in their homeland in Tibet. And so, you know, they moved into these valleys. In fact, the name Sherpa itself, uh, Shar means East and Pa means people, right? So Sherpas actually mean people from the East. We actually migrated from the East into the mountains, so the East of Tibet, right? Kham uh, and that, so the, that area. So, um, so, the mountains took care of the Sherpas for, for centuries, right? It gave us a, a safe place. Um, and it also gave us access to trading routes, right? It gave us access to the, the Tibetan plateau. It gave us access to go down trade in the plains as well. So the mountains has always looked after us, right? Now, the, the, uh, in the last 50 years, the mountains have looked after us even more as tourists from all over the world came to the, the Himalayas, in particular the Everest region. And so we have benefited so much from the mountains, the Sherpa people. And my grandfather used to say, like, the mountains took care of us. Now we have to take care of the mountains, right? And so that's something that is a philosophy in my, in my family. And so today, you know, all the, everything that's happening around the world, our, our sort of global modern lifestyle has impacted the mountains. And so it's now our turn to look after the mountains. And so we Sherpas feel this very strongly. And, you know, we are trying to do our best to protect the mountains that have protected us for so long. That is such a beautiful message. Um, is this the reason why the mountains keep calling you back and you're preparing for your fourth Everest ascend? Um, it's one of the reasons, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I just love being in the mountains, right? It's, um, it's who I am. It's uh, what I've always, you know, liked doing. Um, even my earliest memory, you know, like uh, with my grandfather was, you know, riding his horse, uh, you know, in the village. And, you know, he, he was telling us about the, the, the stories, the old stories and so on. So the, the mountains are part of my heritage and part of my identity. And, you know, um, uh, you know, it might sound a little bit... Uh, 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 narcissistic maybe in a way um, but in in Kathmandu and the rest of the rest of the world I feel like I'm just an average guy 
but in the mountains i i you know i feel so strong and i feel so good it just there's just something that comes out in the mountains for me it might be my genetics that's allowing me to enjoy the the, the mountains but it, it, whatever it is you know i i i love the mountains just being there the fresh air the views just sort of it's sort of my place in the world yeah so like a sense of belonging basically that you don't feel anywhere else yeah yes that's real thank you so for very articulately putting that for me <laughs> um yeah i i feel like especially after you know like coming to the states to study that's something that i constantly am in search for you know a sense of belonging so yeah that's really beautiful so um dawadai as we approach the end of this episode um what advice do you have for future climbers and also the wider nepali society um for future climbers um you know not just for future climbers but even you know present climbers um we are uh, you know we we hold the baton right now we need to run with it uh we need to tell the world what we see with our own eyes whether that's through you know giving talks or whether that's through photographs and we need to tell the world what's happening in the mountains because we are the witnesses of it we are the first hand witnesses of it um and so Uh, that's for the the present mountaineers for the future mountaineers um i really really hope that uh, you will get to enjoy the mountains as i've enjoyed it uh, i'll do my best uh, to 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 keep that for you uh, i can't guarantee anything you know i am one man but if we all unite together all us mountaineers and all us nepalis in fact uh, we can protect our mountains and so um that's a message that i would okay like uh, pass on to to the li- larger nepali community is that you know we are all in in it together right nepal has ha, has done so little to contribute to global climate change yet we are on the forefront of this so we need to unite we need we should not lose hope right it might seem like a colossal problem right but we we get there little by little okay so we need to work together to do this you know mount everest isn't just climbed in one step there's a million little steps right so we just need to be be patient and we need to work together we get there at the end i think that was the perfect message to end this episode on thank you so much for joining us today and educating us about the impacts of climate change on the mountains as we try to navigate our own understanding of the climate crisis thank you so much thank you so much thank you guys and good luck with uh, the anthropos podcast series and uh, you know i really look forward to you know listening to the other speakers that you have uh, you know fantastic work what you're doing fantastic initiative um uh...